Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. This morning, uh, we are going to take just a few moments as we turn the the, the corner in the calendar here. Uh, I know it's just theoretical for us right now, but fall is coming, um, and uh, school has started or about to start for many of us, uh, whether we're in preschool or elementary school or in uh, college or doing graduate studies, or maybe we're getting back in the swing of things with work. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for us as a community just to talk about what it means to be a community. Uh, as we're kind of walking this path with Jesus, doing life together, thinking about what it means when we say that we are a community following Jesus in Houston. That's kind of our vision statement and the way that we seek to work that out. You've heard this before if you've been here for a while, is that we seek to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And so what I want to focus on this morning is just that first part of our vision, this goal of being a community that's following Jesus together in Houston. Community, the idea of community is interesting to me. In, in some sense, community is everywhere, right? We, we can kind of look around in our culture and we can find community all over the place. You can jump on your phone right now, uh, this morning, don't do it right now, but you could jump on your phone right now and you could find a hundred different apps to find and connect with others. Uh, it could be from something like a running group to a Lego group to a Bunko group and everything in between. You could find a sense of community by connecting with others. There's communities for just about anything you can imagine and some things you don't want to imagine. Community is everywhere. It's all over the place. In fact, right now, I think it's worth noting that there are people all over our city who are gathered not in sanctuaries or in places of worship, not doing what we're doing, but they're gathered doing many other things. And I think if we were to ask them, they would describe that as a sense of community. But sitting around tables or gathering on a golf course or finding community in a park, uh, is it true community? And if it is, what kind of community is it? I heard a fascinating and sad statistic recently that only about 8% of Americans can say that they've had a conversation with a neighbor, one conversation with a neighbor within the last year. Only 8% can say they've had a conversation with a neighbor over the last year. You've heard these studies. They've come out again and again, especially looking at younger generations in the wake of the social media phenomenon that more and more connected, yet less and less known seems to be a phenomenon. I saw one survey of millennials that suggested as many as one in five say they have no what they would call real friends or real sense of community, and that over a third of them Uh, would say they always feel some measure of loneliness. 
So that's, a, that's an epidemic, an unseen epidemic of loneliness that's taking place in our culture. And so maybe while on the surface, a community seems like it's everywhere and it's easy to find, in some sense, maybe what the culture is offering is not really what it's cracked up to be. It's not actual community, at least on some level. It's less than what people are longing for and less than what people need. And so for me, that leads us to this question of what is really so unique about what we're doing here as we gather this morning? And even beyond just a a gathering on a Sunday, what is unique about being a Christian community, about the church? Is it fundamentally different than any other affinity group? One whose affinity just happens to be Jesus, or is it something more? What does it mean that we are a community in Christ? And so I want to look at scriptures this morning and, and kind of uh, work through this question together. And so I want to invite you to grab a Bible. Uh, you can grab one in the seat back near you, or you can pull one up on your phone if you've got an app or want to navigate to BibleGateway.com. You can find one there. My hope is that what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a few scriptures together and we're going to try to answer this question of what is unique about Jesus' way of community as compared to all the other versions of community we might encounter in our culture. Now, our hope here at Apostles uh, is that you are actually experiencing what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's not just theoretical or abstract. It's not just something we read on a page. But, but my hope is that as we look at this, it resonates with your experience here at Apostles. And if it doesn't, it invites you and encourages you maybe to consider making some changes to the way that you've shaped your life and the commitments you have. And so to do that, I want us to look again together at Scripture And I want to draw out a few observations about the community that's gathering and forming around Jesus. So the passage that I just read uh, to me is fascinating. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. So open up there, Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22. I just want to invite you to have that open because we're going to flip through a few chapters here in Matthew together. And one of the things I want to do is just highlight really quickly, if you were scanning over these verses in chapter 4, a few observations related to community that stand out to me. And so the first is this. As you're reading over this passage, notice that Jesus doesn't call people to follow a plan or a doctrine or an idea. What does he say to these two sets of brothers? He says, follow me, right? So really clear, really simple. This is a community created not around common interest or affinity, but around a person. So already, it's somewhat unique. It's not utterly unique. There's other communities that center around a person, but this stands out. And it becomes ultimately unique when we consider the person that they're invited to follow. A very unique person, Jesus, who claimed to be God in the flesh, the Son of God. So that's the, the first observation. Jesus calls them to follow me, he says. Second thing I want us to notice is that Jesus doesn't call people to follow him individually but he calls them, the very nature of his call is into community. And I think it's amazing that you see this right off the bat. Uh, it, It couldn't be more clear here because what does Jesus do? He doesn't just call one person, he calls brothers. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? He calls a brother, and then just so we don't miss it, he says, well, let me do it again. And he calls two more brothers. So right off the bat, in other words, he doesn't call a disciple. 
but he calls disciples to come to him and to follow him. Right from the start, in other words, he's creating this community with himself at the center. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is this. Jesus calls all kinds of people to join his community. All kinds of people to join his community. These are fishermen, right? These are fishermen. These are just regular guys, so to speak. In other words, Jesus doesn't go after the religious types who just happen to be uh, really excited about nerding out on theology. Nothing wrong with nerding out on theology. I love to do that too. But it's for everyone, anyone. This community is open to people from the very bottom, as we might think of it, to the very top, to the very far edges of society. The invitation is open to come and be a part of this community. So that's the third thing. It's for everyone. And then the fourth thing is this. His invitation is for anyone, but it involves a high level of commitment. Very high level of commitment. Follow me. Inherent in that call is a demand for surrender, for trust, and obedience. It says that they left their nets. Their net stands in for a whole way of life. Their father stands in for all other relationships pale in comparison to following Christ. They left everything behind. In other words, there is a cost to joining this community. And we're going to talk more about that. But I just wanted to highlight these, uh, these few observations that I think we can make from this passage of Scripture. And so we see these different aspects of Jesus' community forming worked out if we read through the Gospels. And I would encourage you, take some time this week, open up the Gospels, just read through Matthew and see how you see these different aspects of community being worked out. So for example, flip over to chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. 18 through 22, what happens there is Jesus encounters a teacher of the law and he says, uh, I'll follow you, Jesus. And so Jesus tells him what? He says, you are welcome to come. Come follow me, but know that it's going to be very hard. The price is very high. Another says, let me, uh, let me follow you, Jesus. I just need to first go bury my father. Let me, uh, in other words, get all these other things kind of figured out first and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. It sounds harsh, but he's just making it clear. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. Follow me it means leaving everything else behind. You can't take one step towards Jesus and keep one step where you are. Follow me, he says. Some were willing to give up everything to follow and some were not. And so Jesus is forming this new community. And for some, the commitment was just too great and they walked away. And that still happens today. Flip now to Matthew chapter nine. Look at verse nine. What we find there is that Jesus calls Matthew a tax collector. And that Jesus has dinner. We've talked about Matthew in our Encountering Jesus uh, series this summer. And we learned that Matthew was a tax collector and all that that meant. And that afterwards he began to follow Jesus uh, and that Jesus has this amazing meal with tax collectors and sinners. And you see something very profound here in terms of this really is for anyone. It's being worked out. It's for Matthews of the world, the people who everyone thinks is, are too far gone for Jesus. And yet Jesus says, that's not the bar. The bar isn't how good you are or how religious you are or how spiritual you are. It's are you willing to commit? 
Are you willing to follow? And so you just see this working itself out in the Gospels over and over. Look who follows him. Finally, flip over to Matthew chapter 10. At the beginning of the chapter, we're given this list of all of Jesus' closest followers. And this is 12 disciples, as we've come to call them. The group includes Matthew, as we just talked about. And it also includes another character we've also talked about named Simon the Zealot. And again, this is something we touched on a few times over the summer. But in ancient Israel, a Jewish tax collector who's working for Roman collaborators is a traitor to his people. And zealots hate traitors. They are Jewish revolutionaries. They are willing to kill Romans to be free. And Jesus has brought both of them into this new community. I mean, that's amazing. It's hard for us to kind of connect, I think, at an emotional level. I mean, but I just, I was thinking about this. It, it's hard to imagine even Republicans and Democrats having brunch together this morning. And these are people who hate each other, except that in Christ, they're a part of this new community. There's something radical happening. What gives? What is happening as Jesus opens up this community to all kinds of people? Something is happening to these people in the life of this community around Jesus that is radical and transforming. And it does way more than a brunch can do. Way more than any kind of other form of community could possibly do. And so let me just sum up what we've learned, I think, as we've done this quick sweep through these few chapters in Matthew. First, Jesus creates community that is based on people's relationship to him. It's about him, follow me. Second, Jesus' invitation was to anyone, but it required a high level of commitment. And then third, Jesus' community is sharing life in a way that leads to transformation. Something is happening to these men and through these men and all the disciples that came into this community. Men and women were being transformed and spiritual growth was taking place. So this is an utterly unique kind of community. It's something completely different, very different than our cultural ideas of community. And I want to highlight a couple of ways I think it's different, just in contrast, if I can, between what I've just described and the community, the kinds of community that we encounter in our culture. And so I would say this kind of authentic community around Christ avoids two important errors that tend to be made when it comes to community. The first is it doesn't mistake connectivity for community. It doesn't mistake connectivity for community. We are, as I said, more and more connected via technology than ever before. And yet, as we've noticed, things like loneliness are still on the rise. And what we've discovered in this grand experiment with things like social media and online presence is that commenting and posting and being followed and all these things are no substitute for face-to-face relationships. They're no substitute. Online friends are not the same as face-to-face friends. There's a fundamental difference because I think we're embodied, created beings that are meant to be with And so technology falls short of that. It's good. I'm not a Luddite. I don't hate technology, but it falls short. Connectivity is not the same as community. Second thing I think Jesus' community helps us avoid is the mistake of seeing chemistry as being the same as community. What do I mean by that? Chemistry in terms of that spark or that sense of connection we feel with certain people, right? 
a, a close friend, uh, someone that we kind of connect with and think, oh, this might be a, you know, a future spouse. That, that kind of chemistry where we're just, oh, some, there's something about this person I connect with in an important way. And that, that's valuable. C.S. Lewis, uh, he talks about this in his four loves. He says, a, a, a heart of friendship in some ways is encountering somebody and you both can say, you too, you connect right? There's something in common. You find this common ground and you can connect. And that's important. This chemistry uh, is an important aspect of community, but it's not community. It's not the same. Let me illustrate this uh, in terms of my own relationships. So some of you guys know I have two close friends, Brian and Sam, and we've been friends for, uh, since seminary, so going on 15 years. And we, uh, we connect regularly. We love to get together a few times uh, around the year. They're both rectors, priests at different Anglican churches, one in D.C. and one in Birmingham, Alabama. And these guys are my best friends. And we try to connect. And every time we do, there's a chemistry, right? Every time we do, we just pick up where we left off. We love to, we, we all think we are the funniest people we've ever met, you know? And so we just laugh. We have a good time. It's awesome. Um, but here's the thing. Ultimately, I'm not really in community with them. We experience a taste of community when we get together in person, I would say, but I'm not in regular, consistent community with them, even though we're very connected and we have a lot of chemistry. By contrast, over the past year, Langley and I have spent uh, most of our Wednesday nights with a group of people that I don't really know all that well in relation to, uh, in comparison to Brian and Sam. It's our life group. And we, so we've been getting together with this group of people and, and there's, there's some chemistry and some connection, but that's not really what makes that community significant to us. It's deeper than that. It's anchored in something more significant than chemistry or connection. It's anchored ultimately in what we've been talking about, which is the person of Jesus. It's community in Christ. And so through things like scripture each week, and through praying together and for each other, sharing the things that are our burdens, like Ryan was saying this morning, we all come with burdens. There's things going on in our lives that we, we carry and we are not meant to carry them alone. And so we can come to our life group and we can say, hey, here's what's going on with this. And they pray for us and they walk with us and they encourage us and they check on us during the week and vice versa. And so there's this community that's developing slowly and over time and it's shaping who we are to become more and more like the person of Jesus because it's about Jesus. And so that's, that's, that's a contrast to other forms of community we might be able to find in, in the world. It's a community, ultimately, that is in Christ. That's what's foundational. So kind of with, with that paradigm for community, I, I want to consider what, what might you say is the secret sauce that makes Christian community kind of work? How, how does this actually function in our lives? And to do that, I want to invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 2. So, thumb over to Acts chapter 2. I just want to highlight one verse, chapter 2, verse 42. It may be a passage that's familiar to you. It's a description of the earliest church, this community that's gathering together around the resurrected Jesus. And it says something very interesting. It says there that this group that's forming around Jesus, what do they do? They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, immediately, some of these things should stand out to us. This hopefully describes what we do, 
right? This is what, what describes our community, that we are devoting ourselves to the word, to the teaching of the apostles that they received from Jesus, and that we are breaking bread and that we pray together. So we gather around this table of communion weekly and the, the, the rhythm of praying together. But I want to highlight the fellowship piece. So fellowship, uh, the Greek word for that is koinonia. And here's, here's this will blow your mind. Do you know what koinonia means? The Greek word koinonia means in English? Do you know what it means? It means fellowship. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> I love that when pastors are like, let me tell you the secret meaning of the Greek. You know, like sometimes it just means what it means. It means fellowship. It's the Greek word for fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Fellowship is just a gathering of people. It's not strictly Christian, even though we find it in the scriptures. It's just a group of people who have something in common, and that's what holds them together. And so lots of different versions of koinonia exist all around. CrossFit is a version of koinonia. It's fellowship around people who are committed, maybe a cult, <laughs> to, to fitness, right? So that, that's a, their common shared life around something. Uh, your kid's school, in a sense, could be koinonia. It's a community that has some shared commitments around the education and the well-being of your children. Uh, there's all kinds, you know, a group that gathers weekly at a dog park can experience koinonia, fellowship. So people who share life around something in common. But here's the kicker. In the New Testament, koinonia takes on a whole new meaning for the church. And that's why it's used here by Luke in Acts chapter chapter two, because what it is, it's a group of people who share life and have something very important in common, the ultimate thing in common. And that thing is Jesus. That's the core, again, of the fellowship. So fellowship for fellowship's sake, fellowship for any other sake is insufficient for true community. It must be fellowship around the person of Jesus. Now that's simple, but it's the profound secret to Christian community. In other words, when people enter into this community, it should be obvious that what holds us together is not our politics, is not our ethnicity, It's not our economics, it's not our cultural preference, it's not our education background. What is the thing that holds this group of people together? It should be clear that it's Jesus. It should be clear that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but that in our koinonia, Jesus himself is spiritually and really present. This again, isn't just an idea. When you walked into this room this morning, Jesus was here. He is with us. That's a promise by his Holy Spirit that when we gather in his name, he is with us. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we experience community in Christ. He's here right now. He is with us. And so koinonia, this fellowship in Jesus, what this means is that this community is all about him. It's why we say our way of life together is to be with him and become like him and do the kinds of things that he did because it's all about him. And when we allow ourselves to believe that and to enter into that, what happens is we begin to trust this Jesus and we surrender our lives to this Jesus And so that when we do that and we come together as a community doing that, we discover more and more the depth of God's love for us and we experience that through one another. And not only does our love for God grow, but our love for one another grows. So this is all a work of the Holy Spirit. Love God and love your neighbor. 
That's what community manifest means. But there's a catch. There is a catch. Remember that high level of commitment. To receive God's love for us, we have to be totally honest with ourselves and with him. Real with him about our sin, real with him about our weakness, real with him about our need. We have to see our need for the cross and believe in the power of the resurrection and that means admitting that we need help, that we don't always have it together and that we can't do it on our own. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's really hard for me to admit. That I can't do this on my own. And even more than that, the reality is that this isn't just something that happens in the privacy of our own hearts and minds. But this is something that Scripture teaches us to express out loud and with each other. On one level, I think we all want that because we all want to be known, truly, deeply known. But on another level, I think I'll just speak for myself. That terrifies me. (laughs) To reveal the deepest, hardest, most broken and vulnerable parts of who I am is scary. It's scary, and we'd rather not go there. Vulnerability is a scary thing. And so a church can be a great church. A church can be super friendly, and so warm to outsiders. It can enjoy hanging out together. It can enjoy studying God's word together. But there's a next step. There's something deeper and something more in community around Christ. And it's invitation, it's this invitation to be vulnerable, to be real with God and with one another, to lay our souls bare before one another. And oftentimes, I would say even maybe most churches don't go there because it's too risky. It's too risky. But a community in which we can be totally real is exactly what we need. As one pastor said, uh, I love this, in God's conspiracy of grace, we are revealed through gospel community. I think what he's getting at there is to receive grace, we have to get real. We have to be honest with one another. There's a way that grace works itself out. In other words, community itself is a means of grace, of God's grace. And we are a people of grace. The problem is that we fear the kind of intimacy that's necessary to receive that grace. If people see all of me, not just the pretty curated part, but my worst and my weakest, what will happen? And you can run down the list. We all feel it. Will I be criticized? If I told you the worst parts of me as your pastor, would you judge me? If I were to share with a friend over a cup of coffee, would I be rejected? We fear shame. There's a lot of fear that pushes back against this idea of vulnerability. But here's the beautiful thing. Remember, who is with us in this community? Jesus. This is not just a group of people getting together. 
who have a great idea. It's a group of people with Christ. And when Christ is in the room, when he's present, everyone can experience grace. We can show one another grace because we know the grace we ourselves have received in him. And so it becomes a community of grace upon grace where grace is multiplied as we receive it and as we show it. When Jesus is at the heart of a community, we can be radically honest and radically loving because we know it's by grace that we're saved. It's by grace that we are healed. It's by grace that we are changed. And as Paul says, this is not of ourselves. And so there's, there's kind of a, a dual reality here that I'm describing. And I just want to put uh, two words to it because I think this will help us as we pray and, and try to ask God to lead us deeper into this. And the two words would be this, vulnerability on the one hand and accountability on the other. Jesus' community is always marked by vulnerability and accountability. What do I mean by, by those two words? James 5.16, <clears throat> one of my favorite verses, it ministers to me more and more the longer I live. <laughs> says that we need accountability with one another in order to experience God's restoring work in us. This is what it says. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I want us to see the connection between confession, prayer, and healing. It's a work of grace in the midst of the congregation that's experienced through this level of vulnerability and accountability. David Brooks, in his um, book, The Second Mountain, he describes this kind of Christ-centered community uh, with these words, which I, I just, I don't know, they captivated my imagination. He says, it's, it's a community that's being woven through with love-drenched accountability. Love-drenched accountability. I love that because I think so often we have negative connotations, a lot of us, for the word accountability. And in some cases, because it's been abused. Abused in our lives, abused in the church. But love-drenched accountability. That's what we need. And here's why it's gotta have the accountability piece. It's gotta have the confession piece, the honesty piece, and then the love, the grace response. It's gotta have both vulnerability and accountability because if all you have is vulnerability, in other words, if we just create a safe space to share the good and the bad, but there's no accountability, there's no community call uh, calling you to something greater. There's nothing inviting you out of the place where you are into what God has for you. There's no healing, in other words, on the other side of the vulnerability. But on the flip side, if all you have is accountability, but no vulnerability, then you tend to end up with a judgmental community. It's not safe in a judgmental community. And so no one shares. No one gets really real. And so we become very selective because we're not sure it's safe. And maybe sometimes we say, I'm just not gonna go there. I'm not gonna go into the deep end of the relationship where change actually happens because it's not safe. And so it takes both vulnerability and accountability. And those are keys, I think, to the kind of community that Jesus is inviting us to be. So, I think just as we kind of come to the, the end here, what I want to present is uh, a gift I think that Jesus has given us that helps us in terms of our imagination engage with this idea of community, of vulnerability and accountability, of Jesus at the center as the foundation of what holds us together. And ultimately, it's this table. 
I think it's fascinating that Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, set the centerpiece of community not uh, as a stage or as a pulpit or any other number of things. He set a table, a table at the center of his community. When we read about this institution of what we call the Lord's Supper or, or communion or the Eucharist, what we find is that Jesus is at a table with his community. And it's in the bread and the wine at this table as they're broken and shared that we remember that Jesus himself not only died for us to set us free from sin and shame and death, but that we are in his presence and have nothing to fear, that there's grace upon grace upon grace, that we can be totally honest and vulnerable because we know that we are completely loved. We can sit at this table as sinners who know the mercy of God. We can celebrate this meal as a community. It's why every week before we come to this table, we do something very important. We confess. We confess our sin together. We confess corporately. And that may be new to some of us if you didn't grow up in a tradition that did that corporately. If you're not familiar with Anglican tradition, maybe that's new and it feels a little bit strange. Why are we confessing every week uh, as a community? And I think it's a really important piece of our worship. We wanna be a community that's marked by confession because we wanna be a community not burdened by guilt, but that walks together in the freedom of forgiveness. And we need to be reminded of that again and again, that we are forgiven and that we are loved. And so we're invited into this act of confession and we come to this table again and we get real with God and we receive his grace and we recommit to this covenant life of following Jesus and we don't do it alone, we do it together. We do it as a community. So community is the place where we come together in the presence of Jesus. To close, we, we have this little saying that we love to, to, to tag on sometimes, maybe you've heard it here at Apostles, that what we become, we become together. We started saying that a couple years ago and it's just helpful for me to remember. It takes more than just me and Jesus. That's not the Christian life. It's we and Jesus. And so what we become, we become together. And it sounds cool and it sounds sweet maybe to you, but I just wanna, I just wanna identify that is a dangerous statement. That is a costly and risky way of living. What we become, we become together. Because being real with God and with one another, living in real community, it takes a high level of commitment. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes there's conflict. But it's worth it. And why is it worth it? Because community in Christ is where transformation happens. It's where healing happens. It's in the mess that we learn. We learn that we are loved and we learn to love one another. And really, that's the bottom line. Community, life together, is God's proving ground, training ground for his people in love. Love God and love neighbor. That's the invitation in a community. That's the invitation that's for our good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Fathers, we've talked about community a little bit this morning. My um, sincere desire, Lord, is that you would teach me and that you would teach us 
to press deeper and deeper into life together in you. Lord, we need you and we need one another and you made us to need you and need one another. And so I just wanna pray against obstacles to community, things that might be barriers like busyness and, and, and fear and shame and all kinds of things that might stand in the way of us really connecting in meaningful and deep ways with you. Lord, whether it's uh, through coffee with a friend or whether it's leading our own family spiritually or it's in things like life groups or gatherings for men and women, wherever we are, that we would seek to see you in our midst and that we would increase in vulnerability and accountability all under the, uh, Lord, just under the umbrella of grace. And so Lord, teach us. We need, we need your help. Teach us what it means to live in true community in Christ. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.